All right, welcome along to the RT Rugby Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo, sitting in for Hugh Cahill this week. I'm joined by Fiona Hayes, Grace David, and Johnny Holland this week with plenty on the menu. From Ireland's dominant win over Wales in the Women's Six Nations, Leinster booking a Heineken Champions Cup date with none other than Ron Logara, La Rochelle's head coach, and the return of Simon Zebo to the Red of Munster and potentially the Green of Ireland. First off, a hello to everyone, and we'll jump straight in. Uh, Ireland's 45-nil win over Wales. Fiona, I'll come to you first. Just in terms of the performance, it was great. But at this, um, I think what was possibly most impressive was they haven't played for six months and from the get-go, they were just on it. Absolutely. An exciting day, I think, for Irish women's rugby. We've been waiting a long time to see a performance like that and they really showed. I think the big thing about it all is the fact that they 20 training camps. Um, so although we haven't been playing rugby at AIL level in Ireland or with Munster or anything, it, it was really good for them to get together as a group. And I also think they seem to bonded a lot in that in those sessions, you know, because they were the only the only team training and they, they see it seemed to just click for them on the day. And it was absolutely amazing as an ex-player, but also as a supporter, just watching how everything came together. Bigger task ahead against France, but we have to really congratulate him on that win against Wales. It was amazing. And Grace, just coming to you now, um, before we get into individual performances and what really stood out, which was quite a lot of things. um, How much can we read into it, given where Wales are at and then maybe with the other eye kind of looking ahead to where France will be in terms of being one of the top two in Six Nations? Like, I think it was such a huge performance from them. Like, even though, you know, Wales, it was kind of a mixture of both. Wales weren't really up to much. And I suppose the big key is that Wales didn't really put them under any pressure in defence. And and that'll be a totally different match against France. Their line speed is tremendous. They're up in your face. And, you know, Ireland will have to get used to adjusting to that. Maybe their lines are run, you know, to make sure that they're adjusting for that extra speed. Ireland, you know, definitely 10 times better. You know, the fact that they were so clinical in that first half, and even with Wales putting them under pressure and trying to do that outside in defence, you know, they were still uh, making breaks. And I suppose that second half, you know, they let the foot off the pedal a bit. But I suppose the key thing is they were attacking for most of the game, whereas with France, it could be a different scenario. We even seen with Wales, France, Wales had most of the ball, but once France got that attacking uh, ability, they were just scoring off it literally within two minutes. So that's the real key is that when they do turn the ball over, they're just going to have to set that defensive mode. They did it really well in that first half. They put players under pressure against Wales. So that'll be key as well, making sure they have the confidence to keep coming up. And what really helps as well, you have a player like Bevan Parsons. Of course, the, the two tries were impressive, but there was a great line in commentary that, you know, people talk about a star in the making, but in fact, she's a, she's a star made in many ways. And if I recall last year, I think during the Six Nations, Six Nations before the pandemic kind of threw everything uh, all over the place, she was doing her leaving cert, if I recall correctly. Um, so she's, she's extremely young. There's a lot of potential still to come. And I guess that's the most exciting thing, even looking beyond the France game. Yeah, I think like it's really worrying, you know, at some parts, you know, you put your your mommy kind of head on, you go, this is a 16 year old who's not even allowed to play AIL rugby and she's been straight thrown into international rugby at the highest level, Six Nations. And, you know, it can make and break you to some players, you know, if you make mistakes and your confidence is dropped, but Bavin has just taken it in her stride. And like you say, she's had the commitments outside and, and it's probably stood to her and, and to the sevens players with having so many camps to be integrated into that squad and, you know, we've we seen it. It's not even just her pace or, or it's like literally her power. She reminds me, I don't know if you think, Fee, but she reminds me of Ali Miller. It's that there's like that players are 
honor and there's she's no right to get through there but it's like her leg drive and her acceleration and her just commitment to, I can see where I'm going and, and she drives it and even there was a part in the second half and I think it was Dorothy Wall gave her a tip on and she literally made ground like five meters out where defense is so strong so like really like a lot to her game and and, and really good work rate so uh, like and she's so early in her career which is brilliant yeah, just on those Ali Miller comparisons, I guess, uh, Fiona, what do you make, make of that? <laughs> Ali'd be delighted to hear that now. Um, <laughs> no, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's good to see. It's good for women's rugby. You know, Ali back in her day was, in, like she still probably will play with club, but Ali back in her day was kind of the X Factor player for us, Grace. You know yourself, when you, when, when you needed a try, she'd always come up with it. And I think, um, Babe and Ali didn't, pressure didn't get to Ali she didn't really think about it whereas I, I feel like Baven could be the same kind of character where you know a lot of players around her have pressure and know she'll come up with something but she tends to come up with the goods on the day and Grace you just you spoke about Darty Wall there is, 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 is another kind of x-factor player I actually retired because of Darty Wall <laughs> she she made me realize I need to get out of here I was down at Munster training it was my last year and I was like this is the first time in my life saying I do not want to tackle that I want to stand aside but absolute amazing performance for her another young player as well the two of them were the youngest on the quad on the squad like Darty 23 big carries all over the game line. And that was just so exciting for me. But then in defense, eight tackles as well, which were quite dominant as well. So I think there's definitely two players to be excited about. And another exciting part of the game, of course, uh, player of the match was uh, Hannah Tyrrell. And of course, there was a good halfback partnership with Catherine Dane there. Uh, I suppose, Johnny, um, with that 10 position, I mean, since Neve Briggs, maybe it hasn't been, uh, it's maybe not a position that's been filled as adequately as uh, as had been previously during the, I suppose, the, the Grand Slam winning years. But um, as Fiona Coughlin said on commentary, there was a nice interlinking between the backs and the forwards. And that position is going to be crucial going forward, especially this this weekend yeah absolutely and I mean you know you, you'd see the control in the game but it's also the way like Hannah wasn't afraid to have the crossfield kick for Bevan's try and then she you know one of the one of the tries with her own try but she took a short line as well you know just shows different skills in the game as well and it's yeah it was it was fluid between nine and ten and they ran the front foot all day I suppose that helps but it's the it's the different skills that she she brought to the game and she was fairly passionate about her own try as well, which was uh, it's, it's good to see. Like you see a ten with a bit of with a bit of a bit of spirit in there as well. Like you know, obviously Senanupu was going to do that short line all day, and she had a lovely one. Um, but seeing Hannah do the same thing, I mean, she's just reading the game as she goes, as opposed to standing back and organising outside her. So it's just kind of playing in that moment. And when the team are doing that, I think there's a lot of great flow inside there, and I think they played with a smile on their face. Anyway, you'd see that they were, you know caught up in camp for so long they just wanted to kind of express themselves on the pitch and it looked like they did that because you know, the result the result helped because you see you know the first half you get your bonus point early and Ema Constantine was going well it's just gliding over the ground uh, Bevan Parsons is just like a pocket rocket that explosive power is insane you know she's I saw some of the highlights of last year when she was but she still even start shooting or just finished and you see the was it the interception the length of the pitch and you just see the the pace and power but like you said, it was the the power across the five meter channel where where she you're like, is she going to stop here or she's going to keep carrying? And sometimes you're kind of going, "We're well, really poor here." Like you don't expect a ten to take a short line like Hannah did and get through like that, or you don't expect 
um, a winger to just bounce off the full back and, and go again. But it's that glide around the last defender that, you know, you can look at it and say it looks very easy, but I think that's what the girls are doing there. They're making it look very easy. So, like, it's going to be very interesting to see with the points that they racked up, especially with a bit of a barren period in the second half and the way France racked up the same amount of points. You look at Erling coming home, um, wanting to express themselves again and unleash that kind of performance that they obviously clearly think they have within them. Um, confidence is high and they're, they're, they're hoping to bring it home and, and unleash something on France now and France at home and France away might be two different things but it's going to be one hell of a game Yeah and one of the other one of the most inter- or I suppose impressive things was the platform provided by the forwards and the set piece Fiona um, why did it work um, against Wales and are we going to see something vaguely similar against France or will they get as much joy from it do you imagine? Well, I was I was watching the scrums in detail. So like over the last maybe year or two, I couldn't understand what was going wrong I, I, in scrums. Um, you know, I was looking at them in, in, in detail and it was all got to do with height and body position and all that kind of stuff. But they really seem to have nailed down that detail, especially Linda and Young. She was absolutely her body height. Lindsay was the same. They were just perfectly balanced. And it's like they, the time together they've spent as a front row with Clean and Maloney. It's like they're they're getting better and better as they go on because we never doubted any of their ball carrying ability about around the park. But I know over the years, we might've looked at the scrums and asked why is an Irish scrum going backwards when that was probably one of our more dominant kind of things in the years previous. So I was really excited looking at that and the success rate was quite high. A um, couple of last scrums in the second half, but that's when you're going on, when referee decides who will I go one, two, three, three and makes a quick decision we all know that happens at times and nobody's wrong as they tell you anyway but I was was very very excited to see that scrum being quite dominant and that pushover was even World Rugby released a, a clip of it online of that pushover drive from Ireland and you could just see the excitement on the props faces and I know that well and you just feel like I'm doing a good job and that then translates to everybody else around the pitch and we could see that then when Hannah get the ball she had more space she was able to get it out wide We've been talking about getting bathing the ball. This is the this is what we needed to do to get her the ball, and we see we see that when it comes to France, quite a dominant pack. They absolutely done the exact same thing to Wales that Ireland had done. So I'm very very um I'm very excited at looking at that battle at scrum time, especially to see will the girls revert back to old ways. But I don't think. So. So I think I think that gelling has really come together and it's going to be a big, big battle up front at scrum time. And also line outs, I have to compliment that. It was something that had been kind of maybe around a 50 or 60 effective mark, which wouldn't be good enough for international rugby. And they've they've really nailed down that. And I think a lot of it had to do with where they were calling the line out or who they were calling the line out on. And they seem to have got their leader. And Eve McDermott went back in there and made a big, big, I mean, if you've someone that tall, we've seen with Devin Toner over the years you just want to get if you can get the ball in quick it doesn't matter no defence is going to get up to that height and I think they really really nailed it in that Wales game and as I said France will be a different game but it's exciting to think of the prospect of what's going to happen yeah, and there are no changes uh, to the team, which was released earlier today as well, and probably no call to make a change, I guess, Grace, particularly with momentum, confidence, and all the positives you can take from that as well. Um, but how does how do they match up against France, not just, I guess, in the forwards, but uh, across the back line as well? Well, I, I think, you know, they're the same kind of match in the backs as the forwards and, the, and with France and, and Ireland. Like, you, you have that mixture of, 
you know, we've seen a 15 uh, for France against Wales, uh, absolutely amazing talent. And then you, you see Bavian. So, you know, a great match there. And even the wings for pace. And they didn't even, they don't even have their sevens players in, you know, but huge talent coming through there. And I think the, the match of experience in Ireland and, and fresh talent is amazing and, and France have the exact same and I think what that brings is you know you have the support structure of sending new poo there and and then you have you know the confidence we've seen it in years previous where you have the confidence of views coming in they're not afraid to try things and make a mistake <laughs> maybe it's as as we get older we're we're more worried about uh, doing things off the cuff and, and we've seen that with Ireland you know and the decision making of the girls it, it was similar, like you've seen Hannah at one stage, she went to pass wide and she's seen Wales drift off her and was like, right, I'm taking this gap. And I think it kind of led to that, that break that, at the very start of the uh, first half. And that's the way France are going to play. They play that off the cuff. Um, I suppose the big thing to look out for in the men and female is, is the offloading game and, you know, making sure you know, yes, we come up hard and we close them down early, but making sure that we, we get man and ball and then we close them down because they, they will be looking for that offload and, and that's the key. But we definitely have the pace to match them, whereas before, you know, you might would have said that it, it, it wasn't, uh, we didn't really have the pace to match the French side, but definitely a good match. And you think they, I'm not sure if there's any changes to their match, like, or their match day squad but like they Tremillier and stuff coming off the bench which was huge experience too um, and she could make a big difference but um, no I think a great match at Catherine Dane you know keep keep that nine under control we know that she's their big playmaker and I think if we can put her under pressure especially if it's a good match in the scrum that uh, you know it'll make it a difficult day for them Right, and so Ireland-France will be on at 2.15 Saturday and you can follow it via our live blog on rt.ie and the RT News app or watch live on RT2 or RT Player or if you're beside a radio, listen live on RT Radio 1 Saturday Sport. Johnny Leinster um, at the weekend, a statement win over the reigning Heineken Champions Cup uh, winners, Exeter. Obviously, we're, we'll get into the nitty-gritty, I suppose, of the relatively poor start and how they kind of fought back. But in terms of it being a statement win, it really, I suppose, they're already on the map, of course, Leinster. But it, I, does that make them kind of favourites for you? I think so, yeah. I think we didn't really know where they were, just with the standard of the Pro 14, I suppose. And we were going from the standard of Irish rugby, really, weren't we? Like, it was Ulster trying to chase them down in the conference. It was Munster trying to upset them in the, in a the final. And... You know, we all thought, you know, this we were, um, it was our time and all the rest of it, but it, uh, it didn't work out. Leinster just found another gear. And I, th- I think that always happens in Munster Leinster. It's a very tight game. Defences are on top. No one wants to give the other side anything. But Leinster found the way to, to kind of win that game. Um, and the Exeter one was just a statement because I kind of said people, I did a small Twitter ball and I was kind of going Exeter or Leinster. And like, obviously my following, whatever is there would be quite Irish. And uh I was like, right, they're giving Leinster the benefit of the doubt here, but it's still very close. So I, I just kind of said, you know, don't write Exeter off at home. What a team, like defending champions. And um, Jesus, was I like, proven wrong? Leinster, uh, oh, they just, you know, that, that's why we didn't really know. Like, imagine Leinster, we don't, we don't know what they're, what they're capable of because of the way the league is at the moment, I think. And I've been a little bit critical of the other side, outside of Irish rugby, obviously, but um, the way they play the game. Now I do think Exeter... Jeez, they'd be looking back at that game and going, what have we done here? The opposite the, the week before, but how they didn't kick the ball in that, throughout the kind of, you know, the second the second quarter of the game, I suppose, and even in the second half, how they didn't take more control of that. I think because they scored so early in the first half, 
uh, and scored so easily, you know, they probably thought, let's not kick this. We, we have them with the ball in their hand, but you have to be able to change your tactics. Like, and with Rob Baxter, you know, you think that they would do that a small bit more. Um, but Leinster didn't panic. They just got their way back into the game, just tipped away nicely and uh, and just overturned them. But it it was always within them. It's just the nature of how they did it probably makes them favourites now, yeah. And when we look at like those first 10 minutes, what went wrong for Leinster, what were Exeter doing well? And then, you know, you, you I suppose you compare it to the 70 minutes that came after that. What was the difference? What adjustments were made? You don't see Leinster go down like that. Like maybe they were rocked. Maybe they didn't play at that intensity for, for a couple of weeks before that. Munster would say that they were at that intensity, but this is Exeter who won the Champions Cup, you know. So you could argue that Leinster weren't prepped. They didn't play the week before. Maybe you know, they, they did their prep, but it's just the nature of not playing the week before and not playing um, the top European sides week in week out um, so maybe that was it who knows they seem to be very poor individual errors as well like you know so I don't know what it was only the players will tell you what it was you can read it from the outside all you want like, these freak things can happen anyway and my first interpro against Leinster we thought we were, we were under 18 we were well well geared up kicked the ball off and they scored literally from the kickoff I'd say so these, these things just happen and you get a kind of a, a hold of the game afterwards but um, I think it was just the way they were able to stay calm they've been in that position so many times in, in Europe across uh, the last couple of years that they just know to stay calm and just chip away. They got the next score fairly handy, actually. They, once they got their, their first meaningful possession, they got their score. And after that, you were kind of going, right, we have a game here, you know. And thankfully we did because, you know, I, I think if Leinster lost that game and if the, the first 10 minutes continued, you'd be looking at Irish, Irish rugby thinking we're in big trouble here if Leinster left far off the pace. You know, for the, so for the sake of the rest of Irish rugby, I think it was a good thing that Leinster were able to show that their class actually is up there because that would have been bleak enough. Yeah, and uh, just one quick thing on the officiating calls, because in your column, which people can read on rt.ie slash rugby, just added in there. So, um, yeah, there were a few moments that you kind of picked out. Um, can you just talk us through some of the, a couple of them? I guess in a way you were saying it, what, the, it didn't really have a bearing on the final result, but just on the way the game flowed. Yeah, I suppose like the... The kind of incidents that may have drawn a card at different stages of other games probably went against Leinster. So from the overall um, result, I don't think it really had a major say, and um, and that probably kept people from talking about it as much. But at the same time, I just, I just think it's a little bit confusing. I think you see the Jake Ball incident recently, and and it going unpunished, and then you know you have clear contact with the head. I you know having played the game not really recently you're thinking this is allowed in our time but that was kind of some of my points in the column that you know coaching has to move on in the way that you know if a coach came in now and told you to tuck the ball up your jumper and don't do anything else you kind of go you know he's a relic or she's a relic and and you know you need to move with the games we have to do the same thing with um with the laws I think and you know the spear tackle or you know getting hips above our heads and all the rest of it was just stamped out completely after that World Cup in 2011 wasn't it so like we have to probably take the same approach as much as we may or may not like it. And I was looking at that first tackle on, on Ross Byrne thinking, that's unlucky. It's a very dominant hit from a from a tall second row who plays probably a little bit on the edge anyway. Um, and I thought, from one camera angle, unbelievable tackle. And then when they turned the camera angle around, I call him unbelievably unlucky. But like, you know, you listen to the referee going through his, um, the logic of it, the wording of it, naming all the key buzzwords. And then just going against the decision. Like, I don't understand how he can do that. You know, I thought, yeah, a lot of people, if you read the kind of reaction to it, a yellow card is probably fair because you show you're going in the right direction with the laws, but you're um, you're giving him a small benefit of doubt as well. Luckily, Ross Byrne wasn't hurt and 
you know, he got up and, and got on with it and kicked his points like he's been doing all season. But, like, I don't think that's the point. I think the point is that you have to be consistent with it to really stamp it out. And I, I just didn't feel that they were consistent with it. Yeah, I suppose before we uh, get into Ron Magara and La Rochelle and maybe what Leinster can possibly expect in a couple of weeks, uh, Grace, I suppose looking at the Champions Cup as it's panned out and the, the four teams that are left standing, Leinster, La Rochelle, and then on the other side of it, Toulouse and Bordeaux, is this kind of more or less what you would have expected in terms of who would be um, left standing at this point? Yeah, I think as you, as we're saying with the with the Irish teams, you know, there wasn't going to be too much success there. With Leinster have always been well ahead of the rest of them, and you know the French teams have been running so well. I suppose the big shock there was probably Racing Metro not going through and Bordeaux taking taking the scalp off them. That's a huge uh, bonus for them. You know, you would probably see that. Toulouse, you would kind of surmise Toulouse with the experience of champ or Champions Cup that they'll maybe make it through. And, you know, it would be great. Obviously, huge battle with Ron Nogara, La Rochelle and, and Leinster going through. But as we said, for Irish rugby, wouldn't it be amazing if Leinster got to that final and it was a Leinster-Toulouse final? And, you know, we have Irish in the final and, you know, we see in Exeter how successful they were last year. Like that, like, I think that was going to, that was the biggest battle of last weekend, wasn't it? And, them doing the double with the Premiership and the Champions Cup, you know, they were going to be riding on the back of that and and, and a team to, to be battled with. So definitely a huge success for Ireland, I suppose, with Leinster getting out and like the French teams are so strong and, and you know, COVID has had some issues in, in some countries more than others. And I think France have benefited from, from that. Yeah, and in terms of Rowan Lugara or Raj to his mates, uh, which I am not one, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know him, but um, Fiona, I suppose um, the coaching trajectory he's kind of gone on going abroad, Crusaders, Racing 92, and now being a head coach at La Rochelle um, and that broadening of horizons, um, I guess it, it says something very positive about him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, when he went to the Crusaders kind of after that, um, racing on to Crusaders, you knew that he really wanted to expand his like coaching instead of just sticking to how we play on one, one hemisphere or not. He was really going out there to really kind of broaden it. And just watching him with La Rochelle, I mean, they weren't they weren't a team we would have really looked at in that top 14 or heard of very much like competing, you know, like the likes of Toulouse or Toulon or Rassing or Claremont. And it seems that Raj has seemed to, I'm not his friend either, but I'll go with it. <laughs> um, it seems Raj has really gel them and for me it's it's the players playing and 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 looking at what they're doing I mean I I watched I'll give you for example I watched Will Skelton for years I I saw him at the Waratahs I saw him with Saracens I know he lost like whatever it was I think he lost like 21 kg or or something massive with Saracens but I, I they still didn't get the best out of him and he he just wasn't playing that like I don't know what it was there was no offload game. He was very one-dimensional. And now look at him. He's up for like um, European player of the year. He's really like, he's slimmed down. He's offloading. He's a threat with the ball. He's getting to, he's getting to rocks. He's doing his job. And that's what I, that's what I've seen with Ronan is that he seems to be getting the best out of players. You look at Aldrich as well. Another player who we've heard a lot about and seen him with France, but with La Rochelle, his game is just, it's, it's exciting to watch. He scored some super, 
Cooper tries and it, it's it's kind of that mix I mean we know they've Iowa West they've all these different kind of players coming in and and he seems to have gelled them all together but in a game that's nice to watch I mean Grace you talked about the French teams I was so excited all weekend and the two the two French games French on French and there wasn't a, there wasn't a try to be scored and we, and we were talking about offloading and the excitement of going into these games but it seems to again say La Rochelle stuck to what they do best and we, we saw like you know we saw a 45-21 win and some amazing sky, um, tries scored so I'm really excited at that prospect of the, the Leinster game and seeing are they going to really try and exploit those areas we know what Leinster have but also Raj knows exactly what Leinster has so it, it, it has the prospect to being a good tactical kind of mind of two coaches himself versus Leo and Stuart so I, I'm looking forward to it big time yeah, and Johnny, on that template uh, that Fiona's talking about there, um, in regards to, I suppose, the difference of playing in Europe and then the top 14, have you noticed anything in the way, I suppose, Ron Regara has, uh, you know, how, how he's approached as a, as a coach and particularly tactically? Yeah, I suppose, like, if you look at, you know, Fiona touched on him, the fact that, you know, Raj played Munster for a long time under the same game plan that he probably devised, you know, and he was just in his own head for a lot of the time. And then Rob Penny came in and, you know, Roger didn't play, he played a couple of seasons there, but it didn't change his way of thinking, I would imagine. Like, I, I can imagine now after playing, and I'm putting words in his head, but like, or in his mouth, but when you're playing that style of rugby for a long time, it takes a lot of change, like, you know, and maybe he didn't fully appreciate that at the time, I don't know. But since then, he went to wrestling and saw a different style of play, a lot more offloading, a lot more tempo, I suppose. Don't mean a lot more tempo, because we all try to play with tempo, but it really is pushing the pace of that game and just lifting the ball and it's available and seeing what happens afterwards. And then, you know, going into the Crusaders, you probably get a mix of both where they really depend on their offloading game, but it's very controlled. It's like they've done it a hundred, like, you know, 101 times before they even throw the offload in the game. It's just really, really controlled. So, you know, and I know that kind of KBA became a, um, a bit of a buzz phrase during the week that he said it. And these things always happen. And I think he said it himself, like how, you know, one phrase came out of his mouth and people kind of get sucked into it. But, like, he just seems really relaxed, doesn't he? Like, it's like he's been in France now forever. But I did see on one of his own columns that he's coaching now eight years. I thought that was, it made me feel very old anyway. Because I, <laughs> I only got a contract because Raj left. So, thankfully, he didn't move on. But, like, yeah, eight years, I just, I couldn't really understand it. So, he's eight years in the game now and he's obviously after, he's after coming on a lot. But you can see, like, you know, he has brought a lot of that into La Rochelle. There's a lot of pace on their game. They don't wait around, like, you know, it's, and I know he puts a lot of credit towards um, their centres and, you know, they've got a Kiwi, a, a Kiwi um, halfback partnership and stuff like that, you know. So he's got, he's got players and he's probably not got a small budget or anything, but he's, he's definitely making um, good ground with it. Now, I suppose there's been a lot of, I wouldn't say disrespect, maybe too much hype around Rogers this week, a lot of um, people forgetting that John O'Gibbs is probably running the show over there as well, like, you know, so he's under good guidance and stuff and, you know, we're talking about bringing him back all the time and everyone wants him back all the time. But, you know, he, he's really impressed me in the way that he's gone about his business and um, a long-term approach, not coming home before he's ready. Maybe he's waiting for one or two fellas that he still knows a bit too personally to, to move on. But yeah, you, you can see that he's really changed his approach, changed his approach to the media probably. Seems like he's just really, really enjoying it. I don't think he's in a rush to, to bring that to Ireland yet, you know. Yeah, and whether he does return home or not, uh, only the, the future is going to tell. It probably will happen at some point, but uh, we'll wait and see when that does. Someone who definitely is, is uh, Simon Zebo, who is back at Munster next season. Uh, Johnny, you'd know him, obviously, and he's here on a one-year deal as a character first and then 
as a as a player what's he bringing back to the table especially after the three years away uh, in France uh, a smile I suppose anyway for a start because he doesn't play without it and if he if he is playing without it he, he might, might, might as well not be there you know you see in the in the time when I was at Munster and, and Zebo was there uh, there was a couple of things like you're not using social media and he just wasn't allowed to express himself for a period of time he just didn't really enjoy it it didn't look like he was enjoying his game and um, all of a sudden you let him use his phone and, and you let him express himself <laughs> and all of a sudden he's going really well like you know and it looks like he has really enjoyed himself in France but I think he you know he seems to really like Cork you know he still has the Cork jerseys on over there and he's coming home now so I, I hope he brings um, I hope he brings a bit of an edge with him as well though a, a, along with that smile you know because he is a he's a top player like a top top player you see how he rides a tackle and gets out the other side of it the footwork people don't seem to deal with him like you might look and, and go how is that footwork getting away from a tackle? How is he? He's very strong, like, you know, he might not put it to, to good use all the time and he might not express it all the time. But when he needs to, he's out the other side of that tackle and he's very, very hard to deal with. So, like, um, you're looking at a guy who will unlock defences at the, at the top end of the game. And I think that's what Munster needs, definitely. Now, it's a difficult one because, like, you're looking at Sweets going to La Rochelle. The fact that he has to leave Munster was... Uh, broke my heart uh, being close to the guy. But, you know, there's been a bit of movement and... It's great to see someone coming home. Um, it's also going to impact some of the guys that we've been excited about. You know, will it impact Shane Daly? It obviously has impacted Sweets and maybe other things there. There's a lot of variables there. Um, so there's a bit of both in there, you know, like um, what was already here that we could have developed. But I think it's massively exciting with, with Zebo coming home. I think the, the way he can manipulate a game when he's on form, you cannot stop him. And you've seen the hat-tricks in Europe. That's what you're bringing home. You're bringing home a hat-trick in Europe or you're bringing home tries in Europe. Still a top try scorer and he scores some tries in wrestling as well. So it's um, it's massively exciting. And But that, that's my point. I think you don't want to get so excited. I, I was about to write a tweet or something yesterday. I don't know when it was. It's where I'm always on Twitter doing talking. But <laughs> it was, um, I think someone said, like, you know, what's he going to bring? And I was, in my head, I was like, everything, you know, like he's a top, top player. <laughs> and then I just kind of slowed down a small bit because I think when you get that excited about one fella in particular, you're knocking three other fellas who are waiting or had been waiting for that jersey or may already have that jersey. So I think it's, you have to be careful sometimes when you put a lot of, like, if the if the public were to decide the team in the morning, Zebo gets on the team and then they're going, but I want Shane Daly to play as well. But I also want Conway to play. And people don't really think about the effect it has on the rest of the squad, you know. So like, people from the outside pick a team and there's there's 40 people on the list you know they just pick everyone they don't tell you who to drop you know so I, I'd like to I'd like to know who's being dropped at the moment but you know long story short he's a massively positive signing for for Munster and Fiona from a supporter's point of view of course as well it's it's huge as well obviously he was a he is the record uh, uh try scorer there um of course and as uh, as Johnny was saying in terms of playing with a smile on his face he does seem to connect well with uh, with the public down there Ah, uh, yeah, we absolutely love him, adore him. Down in Limerick, anyway, it's it's Zebo and Keith Earls, no one else. Um, look, to be honest with you, I've been up in Toma Park for for loads of those games. I, I I go to every home game, and I'd be just standing in the crowd, and it's that X factor, that excitement he brings to the crowd. That's that's what people are looking forward to. You know, he mightn't do anything, and if if the crowd starts shouting Zebo. He's, his whole face lights up and you can see he loves that interaction. And I suppose as fans, that's just something people love as well, you know, being able to be part of that and seeing his reaction on 
respond to that. So it's 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 kind of exciting from supporters side of things. But I think it's exciting for him as well. I mean, he's never he's never said that he doesn't want to play with Ireland or he doesn't want to try and get back there. And you know, I'm sure I'm sure there's been a lot of talk about his relationship with Joe Schmidt over the years, and it mightn't have been the best but he's looking at this as a new slate and maybe he wants to get capped he's not coming back here to to stand on that pitch at Tom Park and smile at the at everyone calling his name he wants to be playing with Ireland and he 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 is at the top of his game he's been playing some like he scored 115 points over in France which which is an easy thing to do you know like he's playing very well with Racing he's he linking up with Teddy Thomas and the other wing as well at times you know and his old buddy Donica there in the second row they were doing some some great tweeting as well like you Johnny but um it's it, it is a, it's exciting it's exciting for a fan to see him back and people have called for it and wanted it and um it's great that the RFU are investing a small bit of money in it anyway so so we're looking forward to it down in Thoman Park yeah, and I'd say Dunnick is probably glad uh, he's not going to be dragged onto Twitter and different <laughs> videos and things at the same time. Uh, he enjoys that. I think he, he's I, trying, yeah, I guess he's trying to be humble. Yeah, no, he just wants a platform. Yeah, that's not his own. Yeah, and the other dimension as well, Grace, is some of those players of that generation that Zebo would have come through with uh, at Munster. We're talking about the likes of Keith Earls, Connor, Connor Murray, Peter Armani, a generation that probably haven't won as much as they would have liked uh, at a provincial level. So um, it's obviously exciting for them. And then maybe how he links up with the likes of Joey Carberry as well, of that kind of younger, uh, that younger crop that are there too. Yeah, it is that, as we were saying earlier, that match of experience and then, you know, fresh blood coming through. And, you know, we've seen how the young guys are doing so well at Ireland and, and Zebo is, is he's going to add that X factor. He's he's going to do brilliantly. You know, he, 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 he pulls things out and you're going, how does he even make something out of that? But I think the big thing is not to put so much pressure that, oh, Zebo's back. Munster are going to be amazing. I think that's the big key. You know, we've seen them against Leinster in that final and we thought they were going to do a lot better than they did and they, and they didn't, you know. And I think Zebo, if if they allow it, he could just be the plaster and he, he, it's not going to fix that. And, you know, I think they need to make sure and not just rely on him and make sure that they're ki- still building and, and still creating, you know, the team ethos and, and improving things, you know, to get up to that Leinster level. And and yes, he's going to help it and he's, he's going to build it. And, and, you know, you have the Conway and, you know, definitely it's great to see Carberry back after so so long out. And, you know, he'll be dying to include them in his game. And especially like if he's at 15 or on the wing, you know, working off, off them uh, outside centres. So definitely really exciting. Um, But I will be cautious to say that he's going to fix everything that's wrong at Munster and to make sure to put the work in and that in this offseason and make sure that, uh, you know, they build around them. Yeah, and the other subplot, of course, is uh, is Ireland and whether he adds to his 35 caps. Now, we don't know, and we can't really second-guess Andy Farrell, so I'm just going to throw this one to the floor because it's going to be more of a question of opinion. But looking at the depth chart and everyone being fit, and, of course, there's the likes of Hugo Keenan, who's made the 15 shirt his own, and then you've, you know, on the wing, maybe James Lowe will obviously improve from the Six Nations just gone. But would you have him back? And whoever wants to take that bait first... Uh, can uh, can definitely do that. I'll jump in there. I'll, you go. Say, I'll go Gracie there. I'd say I'd get him up to camp and see how he goes. You know, there's no harm 
um, any the anyone with that talent would push other guys on. I don't know whether he'll get that start starting jersey, but then at the start of the year, no one spoke about Hugo Keenan. We didn't know much about him, and he's absolutely blown fans out of the water with how he's playing with the safety that that same kind of Rob Carney style under the ball, and he's just. But it'd be good for someone to be pushing him at fifteen because I haven't I haven't seen Shane Daly do it. To be honest, now I know he's not playing fifteen a lot of the time with Munster. They have him on the wing when when they're playing with him, um, when he's playing. So I I do think get him up to camp. Whether he add to his caps, I'm not sure, but he'd definitely add to the crack up there anyway. I'd say. Uh, my my view is yeah same as fee but I think you know we said under Joe Schmidt you know Joe Schmidt over the years because of the little time he had with them Irish players you know he was very structured and he became so strict structured towards end you couldn't make a mistake players were afraid to offload and you know we were very critical of Ireland at the start of the Six Nations with the the lack of offloading in, in the game and then we've seen how they improved as the Six Nations went on with a bit more confidence and you know opening up, up that whole new coaching system and, and wanting to offload and, and trying to keep the ball alive and and I think that will suit Zebo a lot more than he, maybe in previous years at Ireland so it could be a, another string you know to the Irish bow and and as Fee says it's going to do nothing but put pressure on players that are there and that's only going to improve the squad as a whole so Johnny might might give a bigger insight now No not at all I think like you know you, the pressure at the Irish level means that he has to come back at his best and obviously that's where his ambition is but like when he is at his best obviously playing off Finn Russell and stuff like that there's offloads of Available to him, but I think when he's the one who gets the offer, he's a poacher anyway. He just loves to score tries. So like, when he's when he's running off a shoulder, it's actually very very hard to stop him when he gets that ball with the momentum in behind. Like you, you've seen that the offload game it might it might create a, a gap and it might get us in behind. But it's finishing that off is, is the next step, and he is a guy that can finish that off. He doesn't slow down. You know, he only gets going. I remember we used to uh, ten meter sprints, and I I'm small, so I'd be all right off the mark. So I was like. I really liked my uh, my ten meter score through the gates, but it was a start. It was a standing start. So I'd be going around Cork, being like, "Zebo's past it here." I'm definitely. <laughs> I'm after beating a score. He obviously wasn't competing with me on a Monday morning because he was probably looking at a Lions plane or something else. But like, we had a situation in training not long after where he was covering across, and I had to I had a clear run at the corner, equal distance, and I was you know very short decision making, but I was like, I got him here because my speed is half decent, and I'd say we were. He had plenty of space to, he had plenty of time to catch me and have space left over. I just did not get anywhere near the corner. It, you know, my point is that like, he's not, like off the mark, he's obviously very quick, but when he gets going, it's very, very hard to stop. He's rapid when he's going, and it doesn't, he doesn't look rapid like Jordan Armour looks rapid. But God Almighty, you stop that when he gets in behind. So I think he does add another dimension to that. But like, there's so much. I know, like we we were on this podcast a couple of months back, and we were saying. James Lowe is the answer to all our problems. And James Lowe didn't have a great defensive display, I suppose, in his, in his couple of games. He's a monster of a left boot. And we know what he can bring. You saw it the weekend against Exeter. Once he gets on the outside, that big fend, those massive legs, and he can actually move around the outside as well as that, not just creating the contact. Uh, I know Robbie Henshaw looked a bit frustrated with him at one, one stage because he actually was a typical winger, went for the corner and got bundled into touch. But like, there's so much competition in that Irish squad that getting up to camp like like two girls have said is the first step in that process seeing how we interact with people in in around the new environment is to come in now with you know a, a kind of a fresh understanding a kind of a clean slate like you said Fiona and that you know he's come in that he's, he's not he's not the boss inside an Irish camp he's, he's coming in now to challenge and get his place back you know which I, I think would be good for him I think that will create a spark and and we'll see the best out of him but 
there's a lot of competition up there that they're they don't I don't like saying it, but like they don't need Simon Zebo at the moment. It's a nice to have. And if he turns up like the Simon Zebo that was chomping at the bit, really enjoying Irish camp, then you're gonna have a you're gonna have a selection headache on your hands because that left wing and, and that full back spot, there's plenty of people queuing up and Hugo Keane has done nothing wrong. So it's um I wouldn't like to be Andy Farrell when the whole Adam are fit and, and actually um really taking their chances, like you know. Yeah. Now before we go the Rainbow Cup, which is just over a week away before it starts. We'll have some new laws trialed in that. I'm not sure what you think of it. We'll just go through what they are, though. The 20-minute red card, the captain's challenge, and the goal line dropouts. And some of those have already been in use in Super Rugby. But uh, again, throwing this one to the floor, but what do you make of those? Are they necessary? And uh, do you think they'll have a uh, positive impact? Um, I, I'm going to go, go first this one. The, the big thing on the red card, you know, and we were, we were Johnny was saying it at the start there, you know, but with decisions against Leinster, you know, and the, and the high tackles and how are we ever going to get rid of them if there's not a high enough, uh, you know, punishment for them? I and mean, if we have players getting red cards and, and guys getting concussed and then they're only going, oh, I'm 20 minutes and sure, I'm off, but the team's not really been punished. You know, it's it's not going to make a huge change, as, as Johnny was saying to the coaching set up and, and going, right, you know, we've seen a, a Farrell and, you know, constantly making high tackles in, in the premiership and, and not and England and nothing changing. And you're going, you know, it has to be a whole system change. And uh, for me, you know, making a red card at 20 minutes, yes, it might encourage referees to give a red card and say, yes, that definitely is a red card uh, offence. You know, but then if it goes back to a full match, you know, sending off, are they going to go back down to a yellow? It might be a good way to, you know, encourage refs to give a red card, but I just don't think it's a big enough punishment for teams. I'm yes. going to disagree with you, Grace. There, good. I am. Um, yeah, I I think it's a good idea because I think what I think was happening from the Six Nations was the referees were starting to feel a bit of pressure. I mean, every tweet going was about how Wales won due to all the red cards that other teams were getting, you know. And it was it was just a constant thing, and it was glossing over all the games, and it was just after every game it was red card, red card. So we look now, and I know John, you spoke about about that consistency kind of going away. But I, I do think that they probably were were talked to at that level and said, look, we've got to take the focus off us and rather have it on the game a little bit. So I think with these red cards, it's going to be bad on the players because you're gone. So you're you, like, you're gone from the pitch, but I know it's 20 minutes, which will affect your team, but someone else will go on. So it's putting the onus back on the players to really, for their own game, to really look at themselves individually, because it's not affecting the whole team. It is for 20 minutes, but not as bad as it was before. So I, I really think that um, it's kind of putting it back on the players saying, get it right for yourself and the referees. I could be wrong, might handing them out a little bit more freer now than mm. we've been seen. So therefore, players are really, really going to have to tighten up that tackle area and, tight, and tighten up their skills around that and the breakdown as well. So I, I, I think it's a good thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to having a look at it and see does it affect and having a look and seeing if the, the refs are going to be firing them out every, every few minutes as well, which, which we don't want to see, but I think it will bring a bit more consistency back again now to this ref and of that area, especially. But I think uh, like to agree with you to some degree, but also disagree with it. Like it depends on the situation. It might seem like a, a great punishment, but it also might seem like absolutely nothing for the offense that was, uh, that was there as well. So like, if you look at Xander Fagerson or Peter Romani or someone, um, 20 minutes probably seems about right, doesn't it? But 
if you look at something else where it's a blatant red card, is that still a 20-minute red card? Um, do you know? So, yeah. and you could you, you could lose a big player and the big losing the big player regardless, 20 minutes off the pitch and bringing on someone who wasn't supposed to start anyway, depending on the squad that you have, it's yeah. going to affect different squads differently. Like if if you've got, you know, the Saracens of old or, you know, Leinster even with, with the squad that they have, if they're going to bring on someone who possibly should have started or could have started in any other, any other province anyway, coming back on the pitch. It's just an early substitution. Yeah, it's 20 minutes off the pitch and playing with a man down is very difficult. You know, you see the teams that get a yellow card and quickly get another one. They struggle big time because you're you're going to be run off your feet. But it seems like it's adding a little bit of complication to the whole thing in one sense. I see people, some people saying it's kind of a stepping stone towards an orange card. Is that really going to come in? Like we, we already have uh, discussions around it. Imagine if there's another variable inside that as well. Like, so... I'm not. I'm not so sure. I didn't watch enough Super Rugby to see how it actually went and whether they've been lashing them out or not. But it's. Uh, I, I'd be very much on the fence with it. The the one that I think is a little bit contentious as well. And yeah, we seem to speed up the game, but the the goal line dropout. Um, you know, you get a goal line dropout because it, the pack is so dominant they keep falling over the line. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like you you do see with teams that are like they're up against a dominant pack, they find it really hard to get out of their territory. And you know, if you get lucky and you you hold one up. You get to boot the ball 50 yards and try to reassemble on a 10 meter line. You're going to end up back in your line at some stage, but like it does give them a little bit of relief. And I think the, the teams will start to crowd that area where the ball has been put down. You can see it happening already where they just lie around the place. Like offside doesn't count, and you're just you're jumping in the top of it, and it just becomes a bit of a pile on to block the camera angles. Like so, I think you'll see a lot of skills being like the the coaches who are really at it will probably have sessions where they're going to. A lot of holding things up. Who was it last weekend that literally got one hand under the ball? I can't remember who it was. It was uh, it was incredible. But uh, you'll see a lot more of that, I think. But it's um, it, it seems to be a little bit unfair on the attacking team with the dominant pack and the dominant mall. Like that Exeter team who get into the 22 yeah. and just score. Now, they didn't do it all the time last weekend. But they get in and just score. And if they don't score, they get another chance at it. Should they be punished or should the defensive team be punished I'm not I don't know like it's a it's definitely going to cause a lot of conversations and like you said at the start my article was my column was very much around the lack of certainty around the laws that we already have and obviously with it being that period at the very middle of the World Cup cycle you're going to get a bit of messing with laws so that we can actually tidy them up in the year going into maybe the 18 months going into the the World Cup but at the moment I probably feel the most out of touch with the laws that I have been in in the last couple of years not out of touch but like just kind of going, what is the protocol here? Because in commentary the last day, I think the first one, Brian O'Driscoll said, that could be a penalty, it could be a yellow card or it could be a red card. <laughs> yeah. That's without the red card for 20 minutes. Where do we stand that that's the, the, the decision-making process? He's a he's on the World Rugby board of some sort, isn't he? So he's, yeah. he's involved in a lot of top-end conversations. He's obviously played enough rugby in his time and he's commentating on every second game. So like, He's watched more rugby than the whole lot of us put together and he can't decide which one of the three sanctions it is. I think the rest of us are in trouble if that's the case, you know? Yeah, but at least officiating always gives a decent talking point in any sport. <laughs> what else would we be talking about? So, but uh, anyway, uh, that's it for, for this week. Thanks to Fiona, Grace and Johnny for their time. You will be back next week when there will be a look ahead to the Rainbow Cup fixtures themselves and then an analysis of Ireland against France and maybe more contract or signing news of possible Simon Zebo proportions. So thanks a mil to everyone and all the best.